It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, which is all about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. You know, I get a lot of great feedback from people uh, expressing appreciation for what we do as part of Team Clark. But I also need from you a report card when I'm not delivering. I need for you to let me know when you feel I deserve a failing grade. And that's why we have a place for you to let me know that I've come up short. It's called Clark Stinks. And you can go on Clark.com, go to Clark Stinks, and post where you feel I was misguided, a missing part of the story, um, didn't answer a question well, gave bad advice, whatever it is. I need to hear that from you. Others need to see it, and they can read your posts. They can add to them and all the rest. And then once a week, our producer, Krista, goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares highlights with you here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. Alrighty here. What's up first today, Let's go Krista? with this, Clark. You don't stink, but you never seem to mention that some credit cards offer primary coverage for rental vehicles. My credit card covers the rented vehicle for theft or damage up to the full value of the car for a maximum of 31 consecutive days. The credit card requires me to decline the car rental company insurance, use this particular credit card for payment, and does not cover luxury vehicles or moving vehicles. The renter still needs personal car insurance to cover liability to other vehicles. This is a great benefit for just the cost of the annual credit card fee. Thanks for everything you do, Clark. Ed P. Did Ed tell what card he uses? What brand? That's all he wrote, man. Oh, Ed. So I have one that is primary, so I don't involve my own insurer. And it's a diner's club, and diner's club is closed to new signups now. So it's one you can't get. And I hope that you'll post again what credit card you found that does do primary, because historically... Uh, credit cards only go in secondary position after whatever your own automobile insurer will cover. So I'd love to know that because I've been looking for one to be able to tell people about for a good while. Clark, are you still using that old expired deodorant? Because I can smell you all the way from Florida. In regards to this cell phone SIM hijacking segment, wouldn't the easiest solution be to use a Google Voice number that would receive the two-factor authentication text message codes? That way, if someone stole your cell number via SIM hijacking, they wouldn't be able to receive your codes via your regular cell number. Thanks again for all you do. Sincerely, Taylor from Jacksonville. Taylor, that's brilliant. Genius. That is absolutely genius. And that is such a... A clever solution that I've never, ever seen anywhere I've been reading about all the problems that have come up with two-factor authentication. Wow. And again, what is SIM hijacking? Okay, so SIM hijacking is a big problem right now since uh, banks, brokerage houses, any of a number of people verify you are who you say you are by when you sign into your account they then send you a one-time use code to your cell phone. So what criminal rings are doing 
And unfortunately, I've read in the last week that it appears that these are truly organized criminal rings that get employees inside cell phone carriers and the it's inside job they steal your sim card service your phone goes dead and in just a few minutes they go into your account the text goes to them so they're able to get in your account and they steal the money from your bank or brokerage account the cell phone industry has not come up with good defenses yet to prevent SIM hijacking. This is you being able to set up your own using a free Google Voice number. Genius. Clark, you don't stink necessarily, but your tone when you spoke about the vocational training irked me. You spoke as if college should be a goal for everyone, and that's a viewpoint that's really out of date. There are several good trades that pay just as much, if not more, than a college-educated career, and they don't cost $40,000. For example, you can get trained for a CDLA with a $7,000 loan that your employer will pay for, and you could be making over $100,000 a year after only a few years. Other trades have just as much return on investment. So keep that in mind when you mention higher education. Also, and you can keep this part off the air when I'm doing it, Bloomberg and Fords have been going on a campaign on a campaign against truckers for years. They both have written articles that were very hostile to the industry without any concern for journalistic integrity or accuracy. Please keep the bias in, against working class jobs in mind when referencing them. I appreciate that. And it is 100% true. There are a lot of skilled jobs very much needed in this country that do not require college, and not everybody should go to college. Clark? Oh, and I've got an annex for you. Well, we've been talking about this. Joel just found that the Chase Sapphire preferred card that has a $95 annual fee does provide rental car primary coverage. In answer to the question earlier that I wasn't aware of any, and all I needed was Joel to find it. Way to go, Joel. Um, Clark, you stink. I had the un- Thank you. Th- this one's saying you definitely stink. Everyone else is like, ah, you sort of stink. <laughs> I had the unfortunate task of buying a car this past weekend due to an accident that totaled my car. I'm a regular listener, so I decided to try the Costco car buying service you tout regularly. It's supposed to eliminate the grind that car buyers experience at the dealership when shopping. Guess what, Clark? The dealers have, the co- have of course, learned ha- to get around that. They may give you a list price of $250 less, less for being a Costco buyer, big whoop, but then they add on their so-called included items, read junk fees. There was almost $3,000 that had been added on for extras they thought I should have, including a new type of car location device implanted on the car, not OnStar, that's another additional fee. I spent four hours at the dealership and I wouldn't have gotten the deal I did unless I played the game and went through the grind with the salesman. All I can say is, Clark, don't tout a service until you use it. I'm, in my eyes, it was a big load of malarkey and I can't say I would recommend that it's used to anyone. I love you, Clark, still love you, Clark, and will continue to listen daily to your podcasts. I appreciate that so much. What I would like you to do is Costco takes it very seriously when somebody has a problem with a dealer and the auto program, auto buying program. And I'd like you to contact Costco's car buying program and lodge a complaint against that dealer 
for having, those are known as packs in the industry, when they have all the phony add-on charges and tell you you can only have the car if you pay all that junk. And uh, I, I know the Costco people. They would be extremely upset to hear that a member had that kind of problem at the dealer that's been selected to be the dealer for that, based on what you said, that GM brand in your area. Clark, you don't stink. <laughs> this says you don't stink. But you recently had a caller on your podcast tell you he sold his rental after months of a non-paying tenant. He also told you that with his expected $20,000 net proceeds that he had already been planning which debts he was going to pay off with those funds. You gave him good recommendations to pay off the credit cards and eliminate PMI instead of paying off the auto. But I think you were remiss by not asking the caller enough questions to find out if he will have capital gains tax on his sale, not due until tax filing. Perhaps the caller should think about, I estimate, his tax liability before spending all of the net proceeds. When I sold my rental, I did use some proceeds to pay off debt, but I kept enough in savings to handle the worst case scenario of capital gains tax. Matt. And that's good advice, Matt. I, you know, I'm thinking back to that call. I didn't remember that, that he, was, he wasn't happy having that rental property. I don't remember him expressing that he had made a profit in it. And that's my assumption I should not have made. I should have asked that question. Clark, you don't stink, but you've missed giving a caller who was unhappy with Amazon a possible shipping option. Each of the big three shippers, UPS, USPS, and FedEx, have options to hold items at the local delivery point. Amazon always gives tracking numbers. With that in hand, you can go to online and either delay, divert, or hold. If you have your address registered with UPS, for example, you can even do so through their app. Just something to think about. Love your show, David in Union, Kentucky. Thank you, David. And this is a, an increasing problem for the delivery services where they've got a delivery and uh, get stolen or something has to be signed for and there's nobody home at that time. And that's why they really do encourage you to use the diversion programs. Clark, when asked about renting a car to drive from Texas to Tennessee, you told the caller to make a big loop. I know a little I know a little rental car hack that I've never heard you mention, being a person that travels as often as you do. When it comes to rentals, if you're doing a one-way rental, it's cheaper to rent from airport to airport, and for local rentals, it's better to rent from a non-airport site. Keep up the great work, Josh. Thank you, Josh. Um, the The thing with the local rentals renting in town can be an enormous money saver, particularly in business centers like um, big convention centers like Chicago, Orlando, Atlanta, Las Vegas, when a big convention's in town, the car rentals are a fraction of the cost away from the airport, what they are at the airport. Hi, Clark. Longtime listener. I love your show. In one of the shows, you responded to a question by saying that Android One is best suited for low bandwidth, low speed internet service. You mistook Android One or Android Go. Android Go is for low bandwidth internet connections in developing countries. Android One is the pure version of Android without any bloatwares from handset makers. The best phones on Android One platforms come out from the Finnish company Nokia. They offer dual SIM Android One phones that are compatible with most GSM networks around the world, including the extended range T-Mobile US bands. 
Although the internal storage is low on one of the cheap models, Nokia 3.1, they provide a separate SD card slot that can be transformed into internal storage. This is an awesome deal for people who travel internationally like me. Thanks for all you do, Avrin. I appreciate that, and you are right. I was wrong on that. I thought Android 1 was their low bandwidth service or, or format for Android, and you are right. Android 1 is the brand name for pure Android on a phone. Appreciate all your posts. Appreciate you giving me the opportunity to correct errors that I've made on the air. Please go to Clark.com. Go to Clark Stinks and let me know how I can serve you better. Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mike. Hey, Clark. How's it going? Great. Thank you, Mike. You got a question for me about your home. Let's see if I'm any good at answering it. All right. Uh, I bought a house about a year ago. Congratulations or regrets? Which has it been? Oh, congratulations. It's been great. Great. Um, Wonderful. We, it, it's an older home, so we're slowly doing some work on it here and there. But overall, it's been great for us, and uh, we, we love the place. One of the issues that I think that we're going to be having, and luckily we haven't had any yet, but our air conditioner is probably close to, if not a little older than 10 years old. And uh, so is the heater. And the water heater is probably getting close to 10 years old. Now, I've heard you kind of talk about home warranties in the past. And, um, I, you know, I can't remember exactly what your recommendation was. But in general, I think they're kind of, you know, they're not always very helpful. Yeah, I despise them. (laughs) I'm really neutral in this. I don't like them at all. Because what I hear from people are uh, generally the real problems they have with the home warranty, home service contract companies, because they, you know, they have the colorful brochures and tell you how great it's going to be, and they have people smiling about it. But the real world experience I hear so much about is first, you'll typically have a deductible with any visit. With many of the home warranties, you have to call a specific contractor or they refer to you a specific contractor of their choosing. And a lot of times you're a very low priority call for them because the amount of money they're paid by the warranty company for coming out is much less than they get free market going to service somebody. So you become kind of a prisoner of the home warranty, home service contract company you sign up with. And you pay for that privilege, you pay usually around $550 to $600 a year. So let's take your water heater. What's it going to cost if it croaks and you have to replace it? I'm not exactly sure. I'm guessing probably for the new water heater, close to $200 bucks maybe. Mm, more, usually. Okay. But but not anywhere probably what you'd have to pay an annual premium for the home warranty or home service contract. The air conditioner is a different matter. But if you have an older one, there's going to come a point where they're going to eat up your power bill so much by trying to keep an old one running rather than being at a point where the useful life is really where it should where it is and you're really better off just biting the bullet and buying a new one. And one of the problems with these warranty companies is they're always going to try to repair something older 
even if it's to your detriment, then they are replacing it. So the only time I ever liked these is when the time comes that you want to sell that house and somebody's saying, well, it's old. I'm worried about this, that, and the other. And it helps them have buyer's assurance that you offered them that even though I don't like them. It's like a marketing technique. Sure. My, my preference would be no, just keep saving that money and you end up with your own maintenance fund. And there are going to be times you're going to hate me because there's going to be a repair come along that's going to be really expensive. You're going to say, if I hadn't listened to Clark, I would have been able to just pay $75 visit charge and I would have been done. But just think about over the years, the odds are with you being your own major maintenance fund rather than signing up for one of these plans. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Shopping online is great, except when you're going to need high touch. And it's been an issue for so many online sellers. How do you do that? It's been a real advantage for Best Buy. Best Buy that was given up for dead several years ago has actually been doing pretty well as they've learned their secret sauce is having people that actually know what they're doing. Because if you go back in time, Best Buy was pitiful when you went in the store. Nobody knew or cared anything. And they realized they could never compete just on price, even though they price match now all over the place, the guy who runs it didn't even come from retail. He just kept the focus on what does the customer want? Give the customer what they want. And one of the things that has helped them so much, the Geek Squad has become huge being there to help people with their technical things, either a small business that can't afford to have their own expert staff or you in your own home. And that's an advantage over the dot-coms. But the dot-coms are like, wait, wait, what what can we do here? So Walmart at walmart.com is doing something now where you, when you're buying an electronics item or something that involves your home, you can, as part of the purchase, and they'll prompt you, see if you want to hire somebody from Handy at a set price Handy, if you're familiar, is an app you can have on your phone and you can hire people to do different kinds of things. Some people love their Handy experience, others don't, whatever. But let's say you buy the big screen TV and you're like me, you couldn't mount it on the wall if your life depended on it. When you check out at walmart.com, you can add that and I was surprised by the prices Handy's charging $79 to have somebody come to your home and do that. That seems unusually inexpensive to have somebody come. But anyway, that's at least the initial price point. And so they are now offering at Walmart, and you know, because Walmart's got the dual online and physical store strategy where you can buy the optional handy if you're buying something in the store for the various services they're offering. 
or obviously online. It kind of dovetails with what I talked about recently with Amazon teaming with Sears to install tires because obviously Amazon shipping you tires wouldn't do anything for you. They had to have an install solution. So I think we're going to see more and more of this with people who want to get a good price on something but then need that human contact, that human expert. Those things are going to work all in one instead of you hiring somebody on your own and buying something somewhere else. What could go wrong that way? Well, a lot. Darren is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Darren. Hi, how are you, Clark? I'm doing great, thank you. How can I be of service to you? Okay, so my question is um, as far as what should I do next. Um, I have approximately $16,000 left on my student loans, and I have 13000 on my vehicle. I have approximately 16000 in savings. I'm wondering, should I try and pay off one of the loans before I try to buy a house, or what should I do? Wow. Okay, how soon are you intending to want to buy a home? Uh, within the next two years. Okay, so what I would do, the car loan just pays itself off as agreed. You're down to 13000 on it. How many more months do you have till that's paid off? Not sure exactly. How long have you had the car? 2016. Okay, so you may have a couple of years left to run on that, but you don't owe a crazy amount of money on it. I would I would blow the student loans out today, even though it means you'll wipe out your savings. I would get rid of those, be done with them. No, you don't have that obligation. Correct, because that that has like the highest interest rate. Even though my cut is good, um, it's like seven eight percent. And you're earning about nothing on that pile of savings by comparison. And the student loans are look bad when you're trying to underwrite for a mortgage. So what I would do right. is I would wipe those out, and good for you that you've saved that much money, zero out the student loans, be done. Make sure with student loans, this is something I've had lots of feedback from people on, make sure you get paperwork that you hold on to forever that you have paid those loans in full. Because, unfortunately, because of, uh, I guess it's just incompetence in the student loan processing industry, people will pay off a student loan and then as much as 20, 30 years later, they'll be contacted by a collector saying they're trying to collect on a past due unpaid student loan. So your records that you have successfully paid off the student loan, they've got to be part of your life for the rest of your life. Would I need to get that from the servicer that the Department of Education? Um, so these are federal loans? Yeah, yes. so federal loans. Uh, you will be able to uh, screenshot when it shows that there's zero balance. You want that, and from the servicer, you want something saying that the loan has been paid in full. Okay. So kill off those loans. Fantastic for you. And then every month moving forward, Start rebuilding your savings so you have money for down payment. Okay. 
but I can keep the car payment. Yes, keep the car payment as agreed. Okay. But um, congratulations to you that you're about to be out from under the student loans. Thank you. You know that's going to feel great, don't you? I know. (laughs) Yeah, so when you start doing your saving again, I want you to make sure you're doing an online savings account where you're earning today the highest interest rates are about 2.15, 2.2, I think, on savings accounts, and a lot of them paying like 1.8, 1.85. So it's not hard to earn a lot more than you might be earning at a physical bank with one of the online banks and just get your savings as you move forward in one of those so at least your money's earning something. And best to you. Tom's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Tom. Great to speak with you. Well, great to have you here, Tom. I have enjoyed driving a plug-in hybrid for a time, and I make use of the charging public charging stations around our metro area quite a bit. But I figured out that with my non-Tesla car, I can't make use of Tesla charging stations and vice versa. And I'm wondering what's with that, and is this one of those uh, VHS versus Betamax issues that won't end well for one of us? So it's actually... All right, now you're going to take me into an area that I'm going to give the best explanation I can, but an electrician, any electrician listening is going to be rolling his or her eyes. So the output of a Tesla charger is higher than most vehicles can take. And so it's not just that the adapter for a Tesla charger is different than the universal chargers like the, uh, what's the big network? Is it Charge? Charge Point charge is point. what I use. Yeah. So the Charge Point chargers can charge a Tesla. So there's an adapter that comes with a Tesla that somebody can put on a Charge Point charger and charge it. And a Tesla can use anybody else's chargers. But other vehicles usually can't use a Tesla because it puts out more power than um, higher, would that be higher voltage, amperage, whatever, whatever it is, it's too (laughs) powerful. It's like Superman. It's able to, you know, uh, what what does Superman say? Uh, Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. The Tesla chargers are kind of like that compared to the others. Well, so I hope just, I don't have a kryptonite car then. No kryptonite, yeah. Uh, so do they're you know just, anything, uh, Clark, about ChargePoint? I mean, are they well enough capitalized that we'll see more and more of their stations popping up? So there's going to be a, a mad race, as is happening elsewhere in the world, slower here, to install charging stations around the country. You know, we in the United States, the adoption so far of... Uh, electric and plug-in vehicles Uh, a lot of people don't even know what a plug-in hybrid is it's like it's a hybrid car that also can run as if it's electric only for so many miles per day by plugging in and we are trailing pretty badly versus other countries like china people are buying a one million electric vehicles per year in the united states it's a tiny number relatively speaking so our charge infrastructure is not being installed as quickly as it is in other places but 
uh, the whole world's going to electric vehicles. It's just how quickly it, it will occur. Be fun to watch. Thank you. Sure. I'm just curious, what kind of plug-in hybrid do you have? I have the BMW 530e. It is amazing technology. I had a a hybrid about 10 years ago, and it was such a clunky transition from um, the internal combustion to electric and back. This one is absolutely seamless. And how many miles do you drive on a full charge electric only? Yeah, depending on whether here in Minnesota we're using seat heaters or not, it's somewhere between 15 and 25. So it gets me through my daily commute mostly, but then when I need to do a long road trip, I've got the four-cylinder that gets about 35 miles per gallon internal combustion. That's fantastic. It is. It's wonderful. And, uh, I mean, these technologies, I guarantee you, they're the future. And once you drive one of these things, you'll never want to drive anything else. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance— Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. Producer Joel asks it. Clark, Eric wrote in and said, what happens to your money on Prosper.com if the time expires before the loan is fully funded? And when you invest in one of these loans, what ratings do you usually choose? So I've been on Prosper and Lending Club as an investor for the last couple of years. And if a loan does not fully fund, so here's what happens. Let's say Joel wants to borrow money, and they he says what he wants to borrow it for. They know what your credit score is, Joel, and there's an interest rate that you'll be paying for that. And if not enough investors come forward and say that they want to lend you money, Joel, because they don't think you're going to pay it back, then that loan doesn't fund, and everybody who is going to be a part of it the money just goes back to your internal account at Prosper Lending Club, and then you help fund another loan with that money. Now, as far as the loan portfolios I have built, what I've done is I do automatic investing in them, where I let their algorithm place my money in loans. And I'm only sticking with lower-risk borrowers. I'm getting a lower return on my money for doing so, but I'm having far fewer charge-offs than you have if you go into high-risk lending. Uh, People that are really willing to spend the money, though, there are so many forums where people discuss what makes a good loan, what makes a bad loan, and people micromanage it like a surgeon where they place their money manually into individual loans as an investor. And that's something I'm not going to do because I'm doing this just to be able to share with you what the experience is like. 
All right, Clark, we had someone anonymous post a question, said, I'm looking to purchase a new home soon, and I came across a strategy online that many people are using to pay off a mortgage from 30 years to 5 to 70 years less without making any additional payments. It involves using a home equity line of credit to pay off principal on the mortgage or using that HELOC as a checking account. Is that a good strategy to use if you have some extra cash as a backup sitting in your savings? Okay, I've never gotten to do that during an Ask Clark. That's so funny. Okay, so this idea comes in waves, and it seems to be pitched always at the wrong time. We're at a time of rising interest rates. You never want to go into floating rate debt for a home at a time of rising rates. During a time that that these things are cyclical, And when rates are declining, it can actually potentially work out being in a floating rate. The idea of these strategies is that your paychecks, instead of going into your normal checking account at your bank or credit union, they all go into this hybrid account with the line of credit that's a floating interest rate, and every time you get paid, the balance drops. The idea being that you, by treating your home and the debt on it as just a floating rate pile of money that you owe and then you owe less and you owe more and all that, that in theory you can be out of debt quicker. The problem with the theory, the reality that interferes, is it focuses you on paying on your mortgage in absence of paying everything else. And paying mortgage debt, mortgage debt typically is the least bad debt if you were to think of it that way, that there are other debts that would be a higher priority for you to emphasize getting paid off quicker. So for for both reasons right now, that it puts your priorities wrong, number one, and number two, you don't want to be in any floating interest rate debt right now on homes. This fails as a strategy. All right, Clark and Heather wrote in. She said, you recently mentioned two websites where you can go for unclaimed money. I checked the websites and my name did come up, but it wanted my social security number. I became a little nervous and I backed out. I need reassurance from you that it's okay to provide my social security number. And could you please give the names of those websites again? Yes, missingmoney.com. Most state databases in the United States participate in missingmoney.com. A handful do not. So there's a... uh, Uh, trade association for all the states that you can access at unclaimed.org and you can check a state database directly you will to get your money that is sitting there unclaimed in the hands of a state you will always have to give your social security number unfortunately because that's how the databases are cataloged it is as uh, I mean I can't ensure the safety of every one of those But with giving a social security number, there are times that it is the right thing to do and times it's not. This is one of those times that it is the right thing to do. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks so much for listening today. You know, there's a giant team behind bringing you everything we do at Team Clark. Our podcast and radio show are produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. My TV producer is Leah Dunn. Clark.com is made possible thanks to Krista DiBiaz, James DeGal, 
John Cress, Theo Timu, Michael Timmerman, Craig Johnson, Beth Marchinko, and Clara Bassanetto. Parkdeals.com, where you can find the best deals from around the web, is produced by Karis Brown, Laura Sayers, Sarah Jordan, and Damon Marley. You can sign up for our newsletters at Clark.com thanks to Sally McDonald and our social media gurus are Chelsea Glass and Nicole Carroll. Our Off-Air Advice Center is run by Lori Silverman, Sarah Mobley, and Sue Gatliff, and their team's available to serve you over 40 hours each week at 404-892-8227, and this is a free service of Team Clark. Thanks for listening. Till next time.